The following is a message by Professor Joel Kim from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this recording or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. It was necessary that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead. Some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, as Acts records for us. Not surprisingly, many of the Jews in the city were not happy and did not appreciate the ministry of Paul and Silas. Accusing Paul of being a traitor to Caesar, both politically and religiously, they caused an uproar in the city, harassing the young Christians who were there when Paul and Silas could not be found. Not satisfied, when Paul was teaching the eager people of Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica came to Berea and stirred up trouble until Paul was forced out of the city. Uh, here, uh, the young church not only uh, was at peace at this, uh, was not only not at peace, but obviously the troubles continued. This young church not only suffered persecutions and affliction, as the Thessalonians remind us, but also must deal with false teachers who caused alarm and trouble in the church. As in the first letter, Paul encourages them to stand firm in the midst of the difficulties and hold tight to the teachings received. But something odd happens here. In the middle of this letter, they're so focused on the difficult circumstances of the Thessalonian church, Paul makes a strange request. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, he begins by saying, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Maybe that's not surprising, and perhaps I shouldn't make too much of a deal out of this. For Second Thessalonians is full of prayers. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to, you, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Chapter 1, verse 11 tells us, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Chapter 2, in fact, ends with a prayer for the Thessalonian church on the part of Paul. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and deed. And Paul often sought prayers for those he writes to. Throughout his epistles, he requests his brothers in faith to pray for him. It's an indication of his humility and his dependence and concrete way for the churches to whom he writes to partner with him in his ministry. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.25 ends with this request when he says, Brothers, pray for us. However, in light of the complete focus on the circumstances of the church and in light of the lengthy discussions following this request, it seems still a bit out of place that he will pause here just to simply remind them to pray for him. Well, the question perhaps, and the answer can be found in what he asks us to pray for. What does he ask the Thessalonians to pray for? Well, simply put, the advancement of the word of God, word of the Lord, the gospel itself. In chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, but not all have faith. In fact, the first purpose, the first purpose, is for the spread of the word of the Lord. Literally put, it may be put, pray for us, that the word of the Lord should run and be honored. 
Uh, it's an imagery borrowed from the Old Testament, Psalms 147, when he says he sends out his command to the earth, his word runs swiftly, perhaps complemented by the fact that there's a Greek imagery of runner, runner competing in a race, a metaphor Paul employs elsewhere and quite often. But the portrayal here is not of Paul running the race of the Christian life, but of the word itself running for the prize, namely victory over people's hearts and over false religions and philosophies that competed with the gospel in the first place. As a corollary to this, he adds a second purpose, a purpose of deliverance so that he may not be hindered in his ministry of proclaiming the word of the Lord. The word translated here, wicked, means out of place. Obviously, Paul has in mind those outside of the church who oppose the faith in various ways. But Paul also has in mind those in the church who does, who do profess belief and are part of the church community but are out of place because their faith is not genuine. Is this because he's not confident of what is actually taking place? No. This is not a request of someone discouraged. No, the word of the Lord has been at work running and being glorified. How do we know? Because the Thessalonians themselves are recipients of the word and witnesses of its transforming power. And it's perhaps it's here that we can go back to our initial question of why he makes this request. Uh, here, Paul seems to pause here in asking them to pray as a lesson for the Thessalonians as such. I'm sure a genuine prayer request on the part of Paul, but to the Thessalonians who were immersed in their own circumstantial concerns, in fact, thinking about their own livelihoods and how they are to survive, Paul directs their attention to a larger concern of the gospel. Not just about the church in Thessalonica, but something that they have themselves witnessed, the running of the word of the Lord as it's being proclaimed and fulfilling the will of the Lord. In fact, this is re-enhanced for us when he goes to verses 3 through 4. But the Lord is faithful, he says. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Uh, a bridge passage there is there, isn't it? When he says, for all, not all have faith, reminding us of why people oppose the ministry of the word. Uh, but the compliment is just as strong, for not all have the word, but faithful is the Lord. Faithful is the Lord. It's because of God's faithfulness that Paul is confident that the Christians in Thessalonica will be established and protected. It is because of God's faithfulness that Paul is confident that the Christians in Thessalonica is doing and will continue to do the things that were taught to them. For he knows and he confesses to them so that they may be reminded God is at work in their lives. God is at work in the Thessalonian church. Just as he taught us in Philippians 1.6, as I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He reminded them that the faithful Lord will continue to go before them. For he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23-24, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here, the attention of the Thessalonians were so focused upon their present circumstances. Uh, they were so concerned about the false teachings that were being taught. They were led astray, not only by the persecutions and affliction, as Paul speaks of, but the false teachings that were before them. 
Yet Paul reminds them. In, in, in directing their attention away from their present circumstances, he reminds them that the word of the Lord is at work. In fact, we see it. It's in them. We see that God is at work, for they are truly the witnesses of God's transforming power. For God is at work, and this God is faithful. It's interesting. Uh, I had the privilege for several years to visit Indonesia in successive years. And one of those years that I was there, I was uh, happy to visit a seminary in, 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 in the province of Bali. And, and, and meeting some of the seminarians who were there, they had an interesting requirement for graduation, which is that they have to church plant in order to graduate. I, I wonder how many of us would graduate if that were truly the requirement that we had. Um, and the, the definition of a church plant was that those graduates had to have one convert with whom they worship on a regular basis. That was the only criteria. And as you know, over 90% of the country of Indonesia uh, are Muslims. Well, uh, this couple, who were both trained in the seminary together, actually went back to their hometown, 99.99% uh, Muslim. Uh, in fact, when they found out that he was a Christian, they would not even allow them to buy goods in their town. So they actually had to go to a different town to buy their groceries. Uh, there they toiled. Remember, it's a graduation requirement. And as they toiled, it took them six years to have one convert. And that's when it became a church. And by the time I arrived, they'd been toiling in that same town for 12 years, and they had a 10-member church. And I asked them, how do you do it? And their simple answer, which humbled me greatly, was that God is good, and God is faithful. He is good indeed. He is faithful. Surrounded by our niceties, and so immersed in our practice of the word now, perhaps we forget this grander picture of who God is and what he's doing. That indeed his desire and his will is at work. We see that in ourselves as well. That God is, God's word, word is being proclaimed, it's running its race, and it's competing, and it will be victorious and be glorified and honored. Because, not because of our faithfulness, not because of our eloquence or our wisdom, but because of the faithfulness of the Lord. For not all have faith, but faithful is God. So ironically, he begins this section with a request for prayer for himself. But he turns, as a good pastor should, and turns and prays for them at the end in verse 5. Having reminded them that their present circumstance is not all that's cracked up to be. And having reminded them who their God is, that indeed this God is faithful in their lives, he comes back in verse 5 and ends this section with a prayer of his own. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. What began as a request for prayer ends with Paul's earnest prayer for the believers in Thessalonica who are struggling. And as you can see, we have our favorite genitives here. The love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Obviously, we're not going to spend time on that, but out of all the possibilities that we can possibly have, it surely does mean what he said in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, where he says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Paul ends by reminding them of the electing love of the Lord demonstrated by the suffering of Christ. 
God chose them so that they may receive and enjoy the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to these young Christians at Thessalonica, who are overwhelmed by their circumstances, Paul, the consummate pastor, gently directs their attention away from themselves and points to the love of God in Christ that they themselves have witnessed and have experienced. That they may see, despite the opposition, despite the uh, persecution and afflictions that come both in and outside of the church. Indeed, God's word will be proclaimed and it will be successful because God is faithful. They have witnessed it. They have experienced it. God had loved them, chosen them, so that they may suffer with Christ all the joys that come in the word of the Lord. My friends, sometimes seminary is such a bubble that we focus so much upon our details of life, uh, those things that we have to accomplish, things that we have to do, so inundated with insecurities about what we're going to become and what we are now. Uh, sometimes the Thessalonian message is perhaps our message too, and that we're no different. Yes, it's true. Perhaps we shouldn't compare the kind of afflictions and persecutions that they went through. And thankfully, by the guidance of the Lord and providential care, we are here being taught Good theology, Lord willing. But oddly enough, it doesn't make us all that thankful. Oddly enough, it doesn't make us look beyond the walls of this seminary to see the grander work of God at work. And even here, we are so often forgetful of who our God is, our God who never forgets us despite our forgetfulness about him. My friends, I wonder if the gentle message of Paul is our message as well that you, like the Thessalonians, must look beyond ourselves and the circumstances in which we reside and look to him. For our God is a faithful God whose work has been witnessed and experienced by all of us who are here. And his word will be proclaimed in spite of us and it will run its course and its race. And at the end of the day, there will be not only us, but many who rejoice at the love of God poured out to them and their participation in the suffering of Christ, demonstrated, demonstrating God's own love for us in the first place. I pray uh, that indeed we will become seminarians and pastors uh, who would do just this, constantly reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We realize our shortcomings and our sinfulness. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, even in times of preparation, won't you challenge us and transform us, that our desire will not only to be growing in our knowledge of you, but that our character, our being, all of us, may be transformed into your image. May the words of Paul be truly etched in our hearts, that we may not be so focused in our present circumstances as the be-all and end-all of our lives, but look to you, and to see and witness your faithfulness in our lives, and to give you thanks and praise. We thank you for this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this recording or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474.